0: Perfect, perfect song. I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15 again. We're talking about the prodigal son. And in that song you just heard, it says, Oh, wanderer, come home, you're not too far. And I've heard people say they're too far to come back to the Lord. They've gone too far. They just haven't quite made it, and we're never too far away from God. He loves us just like this Father does. And uh, Luke chapter 15, you know, we've been studying the parables uh, a little bit in the last three weeks. We'll be finishing Luke 15 next week as we talk about the older brother who is rather a self-righteous individual. He wasn't right with the father either. <laughs> he thought he had it all together, and yet he really didn't. But uh, we're going to be looking at this Well, we call him the prodigal son. He's the lost son. He is more of a rebellious son. He turned and ran away. He didn't want to be at home anymore, didn't want to be under his father's thumb anymore. Um, We talked about the lost sheep. And that, that sheep was one that was out on the hillside, and he just kind of wandered away. He wasn't looking for the shepherd anymore and was lost. And so... The shepherd went out and found him and brought him in, and they rejoiced in heaven over one sinner who was found and was brought back. And then last week we talked about the last lost coin and just talked about this is a person who may be within the church or in with a family, and you think, wow, they've got it together, they're secure, their life is all right, and they really don't have that relationship with God. They really don't have that relationship where it should be. And uh, maybe as our kids grow up, we've heard them say the prayer, uh, the sinner's prayer. We don't find that in the Bible so much. It's a hard attitude. But we, they say that prayer. It's a commitment, and I believe people should do that. I think it is a real es- statement of when they move out of a life without Christ into a life with Christ. But maybe they didn't know what they were saying, or they weren't sure. That's what mom or dad wanted them to say. They were in their bedroom, and they they said, okay, I'll say it. And when they get to be about 17, 18, 19, 20, you realize there's no evidence in their life, and they really don't have a desire to live according to the will of God, and there's no heart for God, and the chances are that they're lost, that doesn't mean that everybody that turns and goes away from God is lost or have never received Christ because the one we're talking about this morning is the lost son. And it says right at the beginning, he was a son. He was a son. He was part of the family. And so he is one who we used to call it carnal. Fleshly is the term that I find in my New American Standard. He's a fleshly Christian who is not walking with God. He is is lost in a rebellious state, uh, chafing to get out from under the, his father's control. He doesn't want his dad in control on it anymore. It's kind of the idea that a young person saying, I want my freedoms. <laughs> I don't want the rules and restrictions and regulations of my home. And they get out and they're gone for a little while and they find out that, hey, it wasn't so bad at home. But you see, they think it's, better somewhere else the grass is always greener if I can just go out and live like everybody else is living boy I'll have more fun and I'll be happier until they get out there and they find out after a while it maybe wasn't so great after all we uh, I've heard this statement made concerning how kids see their parents the three to five, six-year-old thinks dad can do no wrong. You know that? They, they look at dad. My dad is so cool. He has it so together. He is, he is so special until they reach about 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe a little longer than that. And all of a sudden, dad is the dumbest person in the world. You ever notice that, uh, you know, dad just doesn't have it together, he doesn't understand, things have changed, life has changed, we're living in a technical generation that he doesn't know and he's still using a flip phone and, you know, dad's not there. Then dad gets to be, oh, the son gets to be maybe in his 30s and 40s and dad's a pretty good guy, he he still isn't with it totally but he's all right and and. They're talking, and there's a good relationship, and it's positive, and it's more of a a friendship, one-on-one, special relationship. And it comes full circle. When Dad's gone, we lay him in the grave, and we look back and said, Man, I think he was the smartest guy that ever lived. My dad really had it together. The prodigal son is one who isn't there yet he's looking around and the grass is greener and if he could just get away if he get a little bit of money he'd be okay and so i want to read to you from verse 11 through verse 24 this morning and then we're going to come back and just break this up into about three parts we're going to talk about the son when he's at home and he wants to get away and uh, that rebellious heart. And then we're going to talk about what it was like when he was away and how he wanted to come back home. And then we're going to talk about what it was like when he got home, because I think those are three important parts to this story. But let me begin with verse 11. It says, and he said, a man had two sons, the older and the younger. The younger Of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Give me my inheritance, is what he's really saying. You're not dead yet, but you're going to be dead someday, so give it to me now. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and he went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. And so he went, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs, the swine. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his sentences, he said, how many of my fathers hired Men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here. I'm dying with hunger. I'll get up, and I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me one of your hired men. And so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion for him, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put on the the ring, a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine who was dead has come to life again. He was lost, and he has been found. And they began to celebrate. Father had two sons. Older son and the younger one. One was very compliant. He was the older son. He was working on the ranch or the farm. And doing his work, he wasn't complaining. He was just doing the things that were expected of him. (laughs) After all, someday it would be his. And so he was happy to be there. The second son, on the other hand was rebellious. He he wasn't happy. He wanted to be free. He wanted to be have the chains cut loose, the re- ropes removed so that he could go and do whatever he wanted. I, I remember, I, I think he was probably <laughs> looking out at guys in town and they were out partying and they were having a good time and he wasn't able to do that because dad said, we don't do that in our family. And so he was kind of stuck there. I don't know if many of you look back to when you were about 18, 19 years of age. I was a a pretty compliant kid. I was not one who was overly rebellious. I was not out partying at night. I went to youth group. I did those kinds of things. But I don't know. I remember one day I was probably either in high school my senior year or just afterwards, and I was thinking about going away to college, and Dad said something or did something or I did something, And I was 18, and in my mind, I remember going back to my room, and I was angry. And I said, I'm going to get out of here, and I will never come back here. Not to live, I'll come back to visit, but this will not be my place of abode. It is not going to be my home anymore. I'm going to be free. Crazy thing was, I came back a few years later and stuck around for a while. But, you know, I think, young people probably reached that point. God's kind of put it in their hearts or they'd never leave home. We'd never get rid of them, parents. But there is that rebellious state. That idea that I don't want to be told what to do anymore. And so here he was with two sons. The oldest would get two-thirds of the inheritance. Two-thirds of everything the dad had would go to the oldest son. A third would go to the youngest son. In verse 12, it says the younger said to him, father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. It was interesting. He was looking at what his dad owned, and he said, it's already mine. It was very little respect for his father, little, little, very little respect for the family. That money was probably used to buy seed and, and animals to keep the farm going. And yet he said, give me a third of that wealth. And so he divided his wealth, and the word means his living, his livelihood between them. I would imagine the home was probably a very nice home. It was probably a good place to live. I know the father had servants. He had a fatted calf. He had crops. He had Probably a nice home. I would imagine the boy had plenty to eat. He probably had uh, his own room, possibly. I don't know what the home was like. Most homes were a little small back then. But this was someone who was fairly well off. Uh, This was someone apparently who could afford to give away a third of everything he had. And so when we look at the boy, it wasn't as if he was living in a destitute situation. He was living in a, a rather good situation from what I can tell. And his father divided the livelihood between them. And in verse 13, as we come down here, it says, and not many days later. In fact, I would say this boy had it all planned out. He he knew exactly what he was going. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, and he went on a journey into a distant country. It was a... <laughs> It wasn't next door, it was, it was a long distance travel, and there he squandered, the word means wasted, he frittered away the estate with loose living. We, we don't know exactly what he did. Uh, the older son, came, same, he spent it on prostitution. I, I don't know, I have an idea what he did was he went out, and because he had been living at a fairly high level in his own home, he probably went and rented a nice house home or a nice apartment and uh, I wouldn't be surprised he gathered around him more of the upper class people that lived in that neighborhood in that area and they would come to his house for parties and barbecues and uh, maybe they'd go out to the clubs and they would club a little bit and they were having a great time together and this young man was bankrolling it he was spending his money it was going out and nothing was coming in because he apparently wasn't working. And so here he was, and he was frittering his money away. And we would say, Why did the father do it? Why did he give it to him? Why didn't he just say, No, you're not ready yet? You know, I, I think there are sometimes when young people reach a point of rebellion and they're not going to change, you just simply say, Go and reap the benefits of your rebellious nature. And you have to release them into God's hands. It's interesting, God does that for us, for human beings. If we go back to Romans chapter 1, God's creation, uh, the 18th verse, says, the wrath of God is revealed against heaven or from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. They, they know who God is. All they have to do is look at creation. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, the divine nature has been clearly seen being understood through what was made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. The boy knew his father and all his father had, but he didn't honor him as his father. They don't honor, they don't give thanks, they became futile in their speculations, their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, thinking they had it together. They became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man. They became humanist. Humanism, that's what it's about. They worshipped humanity and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Boy, we sure see that in how we watch people saying, well, this animal shouldn't die and this animal shouldn't feel pain and uh, some of the things that are going on. I don't know if it's true or not. I saw that there was a bill that you could no longer boil lobsters because of the pain they would feel. And at the same time, they you know that there were some bills that went out that say you take the life of a child right up to birth. I, I struggle with that, folks. i I don't understand how people can be one way and another way as well in terms of our the humanity and people. It says God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity. So their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. And in verse 26 again, it says, God gave them over to the great degrading passions. And it's just the idea that God turned humanity loose because humanity humanity could never come back to God in a right way. And sometimes we turn our kids loose because we'll never have them back properly until we do. The love relationship will never be quite right. And it's hard. It's hard to let them go. But the father gave him his inheritance and released him knowing that the young man would probably go and spend it in an improper manner and waste it, and that's exactly what he did. He didn't work. He just spent everything he had. He, he thought he knew better than his father about how to handle life. That's really what he was saying, and I think I know better than you, Dad, about how to handle money, <laughs> and it wasn't his money to begin with. It was his father's. Uh, what we have today really isn't ours. It all belongs to God. It will ultimately go back to him. The issue is how do we use it? I, uh, I read a, uh, an experiment they're doing in Finland uh, where they took about 2,000 people. I think they were unemployed And they gave them money, no strings attached. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. It's yours. It was about 800 euros. They've done this for about a year, from what I understand. And the thought was that if they just gave them this money, they would go out and probably get a job. Now they didn't have to worry about paying their bills so much. There was money to help out with that. And and so they would pay their bills, and they would get a job, and maybe they would create new Businesses And the thought was that if you just gave them the money, production would go up, unemployment would go down, businesses would be started, and, and this was the incentive for this people. Well, in the last, I guess if I read it right, the last week or so, they've decided to cease doing that. It's been going for about a year. And what they found out is, yes, the people were happier because they had the money. It, it gave them a solid feeling about life and who they were but it didn't change the unemployment rates. It didn't increase the number of businesses that were out there. It just stayed the same. Because, you see, unless we earn it, we really don't appreciate it. And that was the problem with his son. He didn't earn it. He didn't appreciate it. If you just give people things and don't require anything of them, they don't Really see the value. I remember the first church I was in. I was an intern in a church in Portland. And we were doing a discipleship program. And we were getting materials for the people in those small groups. And uh, uh, the books that we were using, we we were using Design for Discipleship. One of our groups is going through those today. It's put out by... The Navigators, and I remember saying to the pastor that I was working with, I said, well, are we buying these for everybody? <laughs> he said, oh, no. I said, could we afford to?" Oh, yeah. He said, but the problem is we have found that when we give people things for free, even in Bible studies, they don't appreciate it, and they don't necessarily attend very regularly. But when they invest in it, all of a sudden it takes value. You see, that was the thing. Here was a young man who really hadn't worked for what he had. He went off, he wasted it, he spent it all, and now he didn't have anything. Verse 14 to 16, let's move there as we move through our passage. It says, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. It got worse, folks. It wasn't just that he had spent his money, now... They weren't growing crops. Things weren't working out. It was drying up. There wasn't food. And he began to be impoverished. That means he began to have nothing. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods. Uh, Apparently there's a tree that has these large pods. It's called a carob tree kind of a gelatin inside of them. He said he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one was giving anything to him. Probably evicted from his home. He couldn't pay for it anymore. I would imagine he began to go to those that he had socialized with. He'd had him in for parties and activities, and they were the well-off in the community. And he said, would you, would you give me a little bit? Would you help me out? Well, don't you have some money of your own? No, it's all gone. <laughs> well, I don't have anything for you. How about a job? Can you give me a job? Well, what can you do? What are you trained for? Not much. I don't have a job for you. You see, when we have a great deal, we may have a lot of friends. When it runs out, we find out they were fair weather friends. And it's not there anymore. That's what this young man thought. And so he went and he attached himself, is the idea, to someone outside. He went outside of the city and he found this man who was a pig farmer. And he said, do you have a job I can do? And the man said, yeah, you can go out and feed the pigs. Now, in the Old Testament, it said that pigs were unclean. And in order to protect themselves, they said a person was cursed if he even touched a hog. And this young man was expected to go out into the pigsty, apparently, and feed the pigs those pods. Wow, that's hard. That wasn't where he wanted to be. That was not where he expected to be at this time in his life. He thought he was going to leave his dad and everything was going to be great and he was going to have his freedoms and he was under more bondage now than he had ever been. And he wasn't free. Lessons from the pigsty. Verses 17 to 21. But when... He came to his senses. When he came to itself, it says in another translation. This may be one of the most, if not the most important phrase in this whole passage. Because you see, when you're in rebellion, you really don't have your senses. You're really not who you really are. You have this fantasy of how things can be. And what you desire for them to be. And you look out there and you go, yeah, this is what we need. We see that in our political field all the time. doesn't matter which party you're in. No, the other parties, this is how it should be. It's, it's a fantasy. But he came to himself. He began to look at who he really was. He says, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? They're the slaves, they're the servants, and they, they eat the good food, and I'm dying here with hunger. I'll get up. I'll go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And he he makes up this this statement that he's going to make. He memorizes it. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Make me as one of your hired men. I think when you get into hard times, difficult times, you begin to become a little bit homesick. He wasn't thinking about all the fun he was going to have in this faraway country anymore. He tried that, and it didn't do much for him, and he lost everything. And he began to think about how good it was back home. I remember in the service, uh, Christmas was coming, and just about everybody on the base was going home. But a chaplain's assistant doesn't go home at Christmas. And I'd go up the steps to the barracks singing, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. We get homesick. We want that good life again. One author said there were four things the young man learned in the pig pen. One in terms of our freedom if you can't avoid certain things and you must do other things you don't want to do you're no longer free. And that's where he was. He couldn't afford to he couldn't avoid doing certain things out there in the pig pen. He couldn't avoid being with the pigs and touching the pigs and being dirty like a pig and smelling like a pig and he had to do other things like feeding them and he really wasn't free because those were the things that controlled him. The second thing he said is he realized that all the things he had gotten, he'd really gotten from his father. His possessions, his food, his clothing, his drink, even his body had come from his father. All the blessings he had in life had come from there. Let me tell you, when a Christian walks away from God, in a rebellious state, we need to stop and realize everything we had came from God. All that he's provided. Number three, he now realized that everything he wanted and needed were at his dad's house. If he could just be home, he'd have everything he needed. But you know, he also realized something else. Because he had taken his inheritance and walked away, he'd really lost all claim on his father for the right to go back and be his son. I've rejected dad. I don't have a right to be his child anymore. It would be very easy for him to think, Oh, I'll just go home and dad will be so excited. I'm his son. This will be so wonderful. I'll tell him your son's come home. And dad would probably have accepted him and put his arms around him and said, It's great to have you back, son, because his father loved him. But he would know that he didn't really deserve that. And he would probably never really forgive himself because of where he was and what he felt. He'd lost claim to his father. You know, I think it was important that the son realize how unworthy he was before he would go home. Verses 18 and 19, I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God, number one. And in your sight, I've sinned against you. And dad, I realize I'm no longer worthy To be your son. And when we come back to God. And we have rejected him. And we've turned our backs on him. And we've done our own thing. And we've said oh God. Provide for me. Make me feel better. Meet my needs. Give me my finances. Give me my job. Give me this and that. But we're not living according to God's will. We do the same thing. We've done the same thing to God. and By the way we live. We're not worthy. To be called A son of God. We have to come back in that humble state that this young man came back in. And at this point, he got up and said, I'm going to go to my father, not as a son, but as a servant. Verse 20 through 24, it says he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, (laughs) his father saw him, he felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And let me just give you a little picture here. Even though the son wasn't worthy, the father was watching for him. I don't know what the deal was. I don't know whether it had been years that he was gone. But the father apparently was watching down that road or he had one of his servants watching down the road and they saw his son coming home. And it says his father didn't sit back on his chair and wait for his son to get there. God doesn't sit back and wait for us to get there. He ran to him. And it says he embraced him. The term there is that he fell on his neck. He gave him an intense hug. He felt compassion for him. He felt pity for him is the term. I would imagine as his son was coming down that road, his father looked at him, and he probably smelled him before he got there because he'd been in the pig trough. He'd been in the pen. Have you ever been around pigs? You know, they're fairly clean animals. They really are clean if you give them a chance. But they have this little corner in their pen that they do their elimination and that little corner grows. And when a pig gets hot, he doesn't perspire. So he lays wherever it's moist and he can get cool and he really doesn't care about the smell. And that's where this young man was. He was down there. I would imagine those great clothes he had had were tattered and torn and a mess. Probably sold his jeans at the best store in town today because of the holes that they had in them. But he didn't look good, and his dad had pity on him. He saw him. He had compassion, and he ran to him. He embraced him. He kissed him earnestly. It wasn't like you see in those movies from Europe where they go, It was a strong, solid kiss because he loved his son. The son said to him, Father, and here he began what he had memorized. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. He humbled himself. He understood what he had done. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son by the way I've lived and the way I've treated you. I shouldn't be called your son. And he was about to say, I'll be a servant when his father cut him off. And he said to his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe. I would imagine he was saying, would you get those pig-smelling rags off of him and get him washed up and get him cleaned up? Because the robe demonstrated he was part of the family. That's the way God embraces us when we come back to him. We're part of the family a ring on his finger. It showed the authority of an adult son. It's not the authority of a slave. The signet ring was the evidence that he was part of the family. He was a son again. And put sandals on his feet. I, I doubt the boy had anything on his feet. Because you see slaves and servants didn't wear shoes or sandals. Only those that were free did that. He in essence says I'm restoring you as my son. It doesn't matter how you feel. Because I love you that much. Bring the fatted calf. Boy, they were saving this calf for a big celebration. He says, Kill it, let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine who was dead has come to life. That's how the father saw him basically dead. He was no longer a son and now he is. He was lost and he's been found. And they began to celebrate. That's how God accepts us back. When we wander off, when we're sinful, God draws us back. You remember that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees about the sinners and the tax gatherers. They didn't accept them. And Jesus said, you want to know why I accept them? Because they're part of the family. And when they come humbly before me and ask forgiveness, they're part of the family. And they're forgiven. Doesn't matter what our background is. All you are lonely, come as you are. We sang about it this morning. We all rebel at some time or another. I don't know about you, but I do. There are times when I walk away from what God tells me. I don't want to do that. Grass is greener over here. I'll have more fun over here. But it doesn't turn out that way. It's an old hymn that we used to sing. And this is the picture of what happens with the child that has wandered away. It says softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling to you and me. Jesus, the Savior, is waiting. He's watching. He's watching for you and for me. He's looking for us to come home. He's looking for us to come back when we've walked away. Come home. Come home. You who are weary, come home. Jesus made a statement in the Scripture. He says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me. Take my yoke upon you. And I'll give you rest. I'll care for you. I accept you. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. Why should we linger when Jesus is pleading? You know, you think about it today, and I don't know where you all are today in your relationship with God. You can be sitting in the church and look great, and everybody thinks you're wonderful, and you know in your heart you're not really where you should be. The relationship isn't right. You've gone to the other side of the fence because it looks greener. And yet you're missing that relationship. Why should we linger when Jesus is pleading? Pleading for you and for me. Why should we wait and then heed not his mercies? His mercies for you and for me. Oh, oh, for the wonderful love he has promised Promise for you and for me, though we have sinned, though we have walked away, though we have played the prodigal, though we have acted in rebellion, he has mercy and pardon as we come humbly admitting that we are not worthy. Pardon for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Come home earnestly, tenderly. Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. The lost lamb had just wandered off. He, he probably wasn't interested in the things of God until he realized he was lost. And the shepherd came looking for him. The coin, it was neglect. Neglect. People had not paid attention to the coin. The woman had not paid attention until all of a sudden she realized this coin that was part of her dowry had been lost and she began to look for it, desperately trying to seek it. But the prodigal son, he took what his father would give him and rebelliously walked off and lived a life that was totally outside Of the will of his family. Because that's where he was going to be free. Freedom. Oh we want freedom. What we really want is our will and control. And yet it's that very attitude. That gets us into the greatest trouble. And the only real freedom. Is when you come back to God. And find the freedom we have. At that relationship with him. Prodigal son is probably the best known parable in all of the Bible. and Yet sometimes we read through it quickly and don't stop to think, is that me? Does it relate to who I am? We don't see it as a rebellious son. We see it only as one who went off and blew all his money and came back and dad accepted him. But his heart had to change. Before he could come back, The heart changed. Let's bow our heads, shall we, and close your eyes. God says that this morning to each and every one of us. Come home. Come home. If you've wandered away, come home. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure you have a relationship with God. You never have really made a commitment, you've never made Him Lord of your life. And you need to do that this morning. You. You're kind of like that lost sheep. You've just been going through life. and All of a sudden you realize that something's missing. Maybe you're here today and you're one of our lost coins. We've kind of let you slip through the cracks. We haven't come alongside like we should. and And you feel lost. You know today you don't have that relationship with the Lord. But on the other hand, maybe you are a son or a daughter. You know you had the relationship with God. But you got so into running your own life that you want God to provide all the things you want. Finances, health, good family, good friends. But you're very aware of the fact That you don't want God in control. You want to do your thing. You want your freedoms. And you know you need to humbly come back to the Lord. And say you know Lord. I'm I'm that prodigal. I'm that rebellious child. And you let me go. I didn't cease to be your son. But you let me go. I didn't cease to be your daughter. But you let me go. But I realize, Father, now it's all with you. I need to come back to you. And I want to do that this morning. I want to make that commitment this morning. If you're here this morning and uh, you realize that you've wandered away from God, maybe you weren't ever there to begin with. You need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. You need to see him as your shepherd, as your Lord And you need to ask him into your heart to be your savior and ask forgiveness for your sins. Boy, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Just look at me. Just lift your eyes and look at me this morning if you need to do that. Never really made Jesus Christ the Lord, the shepherd. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been going to church here at Brentwood Bible Fellowship, but you've dropped through the cracks and you know it. You're not where you need to be. And and you kind of want to get back on track again. Or maybe you've never been on track and you want to do that. You're like that lost coin. Just Just look at me this morning. Okay. Now, this is the one that we really deal with this morning. As Christians, we find that we are so busy trying to live the life of the world around us and so busy with everything else that, man, we wonder why God doesn't meet our needs and why sometimes we have pain and struggles and all kinds of issues, and yet God isn't a part of our life. We just expect him to give and meet all those needs, but we have rebelled and set our lives apart from where he would have us to be. He is no longer the focal point, and you know that you need to make a change this morning. You need to say, okay, Lord, Today, I want to make you Lord. Today, I want to admit that I'm not worthy to be a son, but I want to be. And I want that evidenced in my life. And you just lift up your eyes and look at me. Okay. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, you know the hearts and you've seen the eyes. You've seen... uh, People that have said, I need to make a change. I I need to have a change in my life, in my heart. Maybe they're here and they don't know you at all. They've never really accepted sonship or daughtership to be your child, and they need to do that. There may be others here, Father, that have simply been doing their own thing. (laughs) They know that they've been doing their own thing. And, and they call themselves Christians. They call themselves sons and daughters. But, boy, they're rebelling. Seems like the grass is always greener somewhere else. And today they need to make a decision to say, Lord, I want to follow you. From this day forward, I want you to be evidenced as my father. I want to receive the blessings you have to give, the relationship with you, Father. Because freedom doesn't come from being separated from you, but being with you. And Father, for those individuals, I pray that you just touch their hearts this morning. I pray for the ones that have made decisions today and are making decisions today. That you would touch their hearts and their lives. And this would be something that would be carried on for weeks and months and years and the rest of their life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.